afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Taping Turns Kitchen. I'm here with Stuart Wilson in the cupboard of culinary delights to welcome you to the second part of our podcast about games, games and humour. That's right. We're hoping to make you all chuckle along with us as we dissect humour into all its component pieces and try and apply it to video games. We might be laughing a bit more than you in this one, I think. Yeah, I think <laughs> we were trying to make ourselves more laugh more than anything else. Really work, though. But hey, it's going to be a great show. Simon Fox, standing next to me here, he asks us the question, can a game even be funny? I do, and coming in for the dinner shift, Raphael D'Amico has a little bit of a chat with us about improvised humour. That's right, he'll be making it up as he goes along, and then after that we're going to be talking about the games we've been playing, and hopefully inspiring you to pick him up and tell us what you think. Mm, Alright man, pass the onions, eh? Okay, I'm going to uh, slide these over here and get to work on the beef. Mm. See you on the other side. Uh, so John uh, spoke to us earlier about points at which game mechanics are inherently absurd. Uh, I, I think we buy into that as an audience. I mean, it's important to your immersion in the world of a game not to think about how ridiculous these things are. Or they might be so ingrained in the grammar of games mechanics uh, as a whole that we don't even really notice them. I mean, it's so ingrained in me from my youth that if you uh, jump on something's head, it, it's going to kill it. I, I actually get frightened walking around near small children just in case... <laughs> they burst. I mean, <laughs> you should start jumping on them. Then. Yeah, stop That's hanging around at playgrounds. <laughs> thick glass, weirdo. Start rubbing in it. Oh, uh, I mean, what I want to say though is, I, I'm not actually even sure that a game can be funny. Uh, and I mean, I think we have to remember what a game is and, and what parts of that package are actually the decoration. Ref Costa wrote recently uh, about narrative, saying narrative is not a game mechanic. Basically. The story parts of your game are destined to be expensive, short, and ultimately over. While the game part, the part that can be replayed, mastered, and, and ultimately understood properly using the tools that we've developed for poking into the design of games, continues, you know, it persists. I think humour is usually the same. Uh, you know, a game can be covered in jokes, and like Stu said, a game can, can reek of humour. And a lot of examples come to mind from Borderlands 2, which obviously is tickling a lot of people right now, all the way back to something like Theme Hospital, where everything was just delightfully funny. But the game itself was resource management, you know, it's moving numbers around, and just because men with huge wobbly heads are walking around the place doesn't mean that the game is actually humorous. I think that's what I thought to myself as I, as I was preparing you know, for this. I thought, games can't be inherently funny, and I thought that that would be a nice and a hyperbolic thing to say to you guys, because... Um, you know, I wanted to get a little bit of argument going. But when I sat down to think about it, I realised that games can be funny, and they can be funny in a mechanical sense. But when they are, it's often a terrible, terrible idea. I mean, there are games which put jokes at their core. They're usually adventure games, and historically it's been a little bit of a nightmare when that's the case. I mean, someone mentioned Been There, Damn That in the Reddit thread, which mm. is a more modern example. I've not played that. Uh, so it may be the case that people are pulling this off more successfully nowadays. But I'm recalling the Discworld games here, or Starship Titanic. Uh, both games by writers I adore, you know, Pratchett and Adams, but both absolutely terrible. I mean, Discworld was such a lottery, mechanically, that I literally made phone calls to find out some of the solutions to these puzzles. People sat in call centres. They had jobs which in some way revolved around helping me to solve the puzzles in this game. <laughs> because the puzzles were jokes. And you had to reconstruct them painstakingly without any particular advice. And there's nothing worse than trying to guess what some poor, overworked developer's sense of humour consists of. Because we're terrible people. I mean, if you compare this... To Portal 2. Uh, it's an incredible game. Uh, we've spoken about it already, and all the dressing of it's incredibly funny. But the actual gameplay, the real bits, the system bits, they're all about shooting magic holes in things, which, which is ridiculous, but it isn't actually a joke. Now, I have a little bit of frontline experience here, because recently I've been trying to make a funny game. Um, I've been learning a lot about artificial intelligence, uh, and the first experiment that I put together to practice letting complex behaviour emerge from simple rules was this system of uh, AI agents which would basically constantly be performing improv with each other. Uh, you know, little slapstick comedy routines. You know, ever since reading Impro by Keith Johnstone, I've been completely fascinated by what he calls status negotiations. Uh, for those who've never come across this, uh, Johnstone refined improvised theatre into a, a set of rules which centred on the exchanging of status. 
he noticed that normal, casual conversation is never motiveless. Uh, and when, uh, when he asked his performers to behave as if they were seeking to raise or lower their status very slightly around that of their partner, he found that comedy and drama just burst out of these interactions and they felt actually genuine. Um, this struck me as the sort of simple rule set which would be a perfect fit for a game. And I started to put together, you know, a, a simple AI that was kind of mimic the way the Sims work. You know, agents had hunger, they had boredom, and they would respond to these things by using items. I also modelled a status hierarchy. You know, so these uh, AI agents were all constantly figuring out who was on top uh, and where they were within this hierarchy and, and how they felt about that. Essentially, uh, basically, I made a, a colony of socially paranoid robots, which might say more about me as a person than anything else particularly. But this kind of worked. You know, I got to watch Iron Man. I, I've named all of my uh, AI agents after superheroes. I, I got to watch Iron Man kick the Incredible Hulk off the toilet because he felt like he was more important. And, you know, a lot of incredibly <laughs> funny things kind of pop out of a simulation like that. Uh, your dad had... did that to me once <laughs> when I came around to your house for Sunday lunch. Pop right out of a simulation. Yeah, <laughs> he kicked me off the toilet. Uh, <laughs> it's a little bit sad. Yeah. <laughs> As someone mentioned Dwarf Fortress earlier, which is another great example of complex systems interleaving with each other to produce just, just nonsense, but, um, you know, well-structured nonsense. And I had another similar example um, in, in a project I've been working on. You know, I had a, a piece of my data was had the label intestines, and uh, a memory leak happened, and suddenly intestines were everywhere in my code. I mean, that's... <laughs> That was funny to me, but then <laughs> earlier I did say that developers are terrible people. Um, so, you know, but there, there are still huge problems here. So, first of all, this is all happening in a text-based simulation, and finding a way to artfully telegraph all of this uh, to a player is an enormous challenge. You know, comedy consists of a lot more than just the situation. You have to sell it. It has to be uh, animated correctly. It has to sound funny. And that's a lot of asset creation. You know, as a developer, that's a lot of new work to do. On top of that, this wasn't a game. You know, I, I found myself falling back on something similar to Theme Hospital when it came to actually making a way for players to interact with this simulation. Uh, you know, resource management, things like that. So I guess my question is, can the mechanical engine of a game actually even be inherently funny? Any examples? Immediately what sprung to mind is uh, Dance Dance Revolution. I've laughed my arse off at Simon's shaking of the arse off. (laughs) 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 Watching people play DDR is an inherently funny thing as long as they don't know what they're doing. As long as they're not like like those, those Asian guys that are really good at it. You know the uh, thanks, thanks very much. Yeah, shadow you had a face there. Um, I, is that that's what the, the immediate thing that that sprung to mind? But I think yeah, um, I think that that's a, for me personally anyway. That's a notable exception to the rule because I think you're right. I started thinking immediately about the game Conquer on the N64 uh, remade. Uh, for Microsoft. And Bad there, Fur Day. There's yeah, yeah. and th- there's that fantastic bit where you meet. Um, the great Pooh monster. I am the great mighty Pooh, and I'm going to throw my shit at you. <laughs> and he's got the, he's this giant poo with sweet corn for teeth, and he's singing opera at you. And your job is to go around. And you have to collect toilet rolls and throw them into his face. <laughs> and eventually, the shit gets soaked up, and he goes. He's kind of wizened away. I think you're kind of right, though, because that is just target practice, right? I'm running around a three-dimensional space just trying to get the trajectory right. It's, it's the window dressing on that mechanic that made it funny. I, um, uh, I think also this comes back to what you were saying, um, Stu, about uh, the surprise involved, inherent in, in humour. Because for me, uh, Funny Things Funny has always been a very immediate thing. It's, it's not especially cerebral. I mean, even for like, very, very clever jokes like, that you only get when you think about it, like, you know, the, actually what's happening is it's that surprise. It's, it's getting that, oh, right, okay. And that's something that's very, very instant. And I think mechanics are so sufficiently removed um, from that experience. You know, me- mechanics are, are, are sufficiently abstracted that a mechanic itself is a very difficult thing to find funny. Also, I guess, and this speaks against the, the repetition point that you made earlier on, um, and, you know, a, a mechanic is something that you employ again and again and again. Mm-hmm. If, it's a, it's a funny, if it's a funny mechanic in of itself, it's probably only going to be funny the first few times you do it, and then it's just mm-hmm. a mechanic. Mm-hmm. This thing like um, Gary's mod jumps to mind, actually. 
um, if we're going to find something which is mechanically hilarious, uh, anything which gives you the ability to weld a man to a pigeon. Nice. Mm. At last. Uh, you know, I've, I've only, I recently downloaded Gary's mod um, for the first time, actually, having seen the uh, Yogscast guys mm. have a little bit of fun. Just what is Gary's mod, quickly? Uh, Gary's mod is a mod that was made about seven, eight years ago. Uh, for the Source engine, um, which is the engine that Half-Life 2 was originally built in, and uh, an engine that Valve have used for an awful lot of games since. Uh, and it simply it took all the elements involved in Half-Life 2 and just put you in a, a stage and just let you fuck around with them, basically. Um, so, you know, one of the first things I did was uh, deploy loads and loads of the uh, G-Man character. Uh, actually, no, not the <laughs> G-Man character, um, because he's actually invincible. Um, but loads and loads of the different resistance characters from Half-Life 2 and a load of huh. birds, like pigeons and crows. <laughs> and I put them all down there on the stage. And they were kind of, you know, like the, the resistance characters were kind of, you know, looking at their guns and the pigeons and the crows were bocking around the place. But, you know, I was looking through the uh, the menus and I thought, what this team really needs is a, is a massive heavy metal cube, which <laughs> I suspended above the group uh, and, and, and dropped. Lovely. Proud, a, proud of yourself for doing that. Lovely sound. You laughed yourself dry, <laughs> did you? Eyes dry up. You were laughing so much, did you? Pride. Mm? Yeah, I've seen did. some amazing videos of uh, like wow. um, game griefers or like or like particularly abusive um, uh, players uh, who um, just get really fucked over by um, this mod. I think like I'm not sure if uh, this is particularly accurate, but there are, there is this one in particular which um, springs to mind of this 13 year old boy who's just like you know shouting racist homophobic abuse and they managed to like pen him in using metal sheets or something so he can't actually go anywhere and you just oh hear like, you, you, he's kind of like stuck against a wall um, and uh, and you just hear him like yelling like you fucks like you know, it's like, all of this awful stuff and then eventually he's like please please let me out <laughs> and it's, it's great it's like hearing him learn that lesson and gamers do love to make wow. each other laugh if you give them the tools to do it mm. It's definitely about having that social element. Mm. I mean, a game that isn't inherently funny becomes incredibly funny as soon as you can put YouTube videos of it on the internet. <laughs> did, did you ever see that, Gary's... It was a, a game built around Gary's mod, which I think was something you just played multiplayer like with four, four other people, and it, cut, it put you in a lift, an it elevator, lift, yeah. for our American friends, um, and you just went to different floors on this lift, and the doors opened, and terrible, strange things happened. <laughs> Um, you know, it might be like a Hawaii Hawaiian scene, you know, with a yeah. guy dancing, and then the doors close. You go up, and the next thing is like murder. You know, yeah, like a, a screamer from House of the yeah. House of the Dead. You know. can, can I just point out one in fact? Nothing to do with video games, but there's a company in Britain, well, across Europe, that makes lifts called Schindler. They make Schindler's lifts. <laughs> um, now, I, I, I'd like I'd like to wade in with with what you're talking about. How funny can a mechanic be? I, I want to revive that quote from. Um, uh, from earlier on saying if you dissect a frog all you end up with is, is a dead frog and I think that, that there comes this point of saying well where does the mechanic end and the experiential part of just absorbing the art form actually begin so for example how funny is telling a joke it's just a man vibrating his larynx and pushing air waves through the you could break this kind of thing down and this is where the kind of the post-structuralist movement of uh, the idea that meaning is kind of in the ether and it's something that you we are as humans kind of destined to put meaning onto stuff stuff exists full stop the meaning of something is entirely within our own heads and the more and more you kind of break something down the more and more you end up with just a dead frog and and no real real joke uh duchamp said when he made that urinal and put it in the louvre saying you know this is a piece of art it's just a urinal his he came from this this point of view where you're thinking that you must think of the idea first think of think of what it is this genesis of of the idea and then decide the medium as to which you should transmit this idea and if these jokes are inherently funny i.e. a giant monster that's made of poo and the only way that you can kill him is to make him swallow toilet paper and he's got teeth made of sweet corn that's a funny thing mm. how do you transmit that as a gag? Well you can't actually genetically build a poo monster as much as my nephew is disheartened by that, <laughs> this is his favourite <laughs> phrase at the moment, poo monster, but, poo monster yeah. awesome. um, but I think that there's in terms of trying to find the funny in something, 
uh, you could say the same about any medium. What's so funny about flickering light on a white screen? Well, nothing inherently. It's what you do with it that makes it funny. Right. But I, but I guess like everything, everything depends on... Everything could be different depending on how you describe it. Mm. Have you not seen the uh, flickering light on a white screen hour? <laughs> CNN. Channel. <laughs> <laughs> the entire channel. Yeah. Seven I, years. I TV'd like seven hours of that. Like. <laughs> I hate, this show's gone downhill since series 10. Yeah. <laughs> series 10, this is all flickering light on a white screen. So I hate it. In comedy, there's that. Uh, there's obviously the rule of threes. There's also the rule of 1,000, which just basically <laughs> says, it's funny when you do three. Yeah. And then it gets funny again when you do a thousand. <laughs> the bit in between is a bit awkward, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the, the the thing that I want to talk about is improv. Um, and the, the the reason why, I'll just uh, read out a quote by a guy called McNapier, who's um, one of the the great kind of writers and coaches um, in improv, has been for the last couple of decades. Um, he describes improv as a tool used to create comedy. It's a series of tools. And I think it's really instructive to look at the way improv functions and compare that to the way games function. Because one of the things I've noticed is that a huge source of humor in games is completely emergent um, and has nothing to do with the humorous content of the game. Um, if you look at the number of funny videos of Halo or you know Unreal Tournament or Quake or first-person shooters with competitive aspects. It's kind of astonishing, given that those games are really not very funny at all or make no attempt to be funny. Um, and I think the rules of improv have something to teach us about that. So what is improv? It's a way to create a funny situation um, with no elements other than a blank stage, maybe two or three chairs, um, and a little bit of structure. And you can break it down to really three core rules. The first rule of improv is you have to accept everything that comes to you. Um, there's, it's so much work. It's so difficult to create material from nothing that you should use everything that comes at you. For you to deny what someone else has said is just wasting something that you could use. So it's about immediately accepting everything that is given to you and two people slowly creating this internal structure. When you have the internal structure, the second thing is you just play with it to the maximum. And here's where it gets really, really interesting and, and kind of complicated. There's a bunch of different tools that you use. Um, Foxy mentioned uh, status. Um, that's one of the very, very first tools that uh, the, the improved community and Keith Johnston discovered. Um, but since then, it's vastly evolved into a number of things that the actor learns how to do. Um, Jill Bernard has a, an acronym that she's described, what it takes to create a good character, VAPAPO. Um, that's yes. all about creating a character with the components are voice and attitude, um, point of view, posture, um, animal, to use as a metaphor, prop. Um, obsession. All of these are things that the improv actor can manipulate to create situations and to find the game of the uh, the, the scene. Can I just say, Once you have, yeah, v yeah, yeah. The Papo is not exactly the catchiest of acronyms. It's, it's it's not, <laughs> uh, oh, improvisers, we're so crazy. So, the, all of these tools are tools you use to play with the material that you've created by accepting what everyone else um, in the scene has given you. And, and the third thing is you have to keep it simple enough that you can maintain this whole structure in your heads and mess with it. So the ideal situation is you start out with nothing, just a completely empty stage. People start throwing out concepts um, and just one brushstroke at a time from nothing. Characters emerge, locations emerge, um, a story slowly emerges, just bit by bit by bit. And as soon as you understand the structure of it, you start messing with it. And that's where the humor comes from. Because as soon as you have this internally consistent structure, this kind of this gravity inside the game, um, that's when you start understanding what the expectations of the scene are. You know, if you're in a grocery store, you expect that there's going to be shelves with 
stuff on them and a, a checkout counter and you know someone who you have to pay and maybe other people walking around it and uh, shopping carts. And as soon as you've drawn those elements out, that's a structure that you can start breaking. And the best part and the reason that improv is so funny is that you don't really have to work to do that at all. It just kind of happens because it's really, really difficult to um, keep all of those details straight in your heads when you're not comparing notes, when you haven't rehearsed it beforehand. Um, Del Close, another pioneer of improv, he writes that where do the really best laughs come from? Just terrific connections made intellectually or terrific revelations made emotionally. Um, when we're relaxing, we don't have to entertain each other with jokes. And when we're simply being ourselves up to each other and being honest, we're usually funniest. And that's the kind of thing that that structure um, creates. And so when you look at it in games, I think a really, really good example, this might be slightly surprising of these, these three rules, just accepting everything, creating a structure that um, you all understand and that's simple enough to, to fuck with. One of the funniest games um, I've played is Trials. You guys played Trials? No. Is that a motorbike game? Yeah. Um, yeah. You just have this ludicrous environment. You have to get your bike over it. Yeah. And it just embodies all these principles. The acceptance is kind of a given in a game because the game enforces the rules of physics um, and it gives you the, those props to play with. But if you go on YouTube, the number of funny videos, or if you play Trials with someone else, the amount of laughter that is generated by just messing with the laws of physics of this game. Um, and the fact that it's simple enough that you know that roughly when you do this jump, you kind of know what to expect. And when it goes horribly wrong, it's funny because you had some idea of what to expect. It just kind of, kind of validates this. And so when games get more complicated but still stick to these things, like Super Smash Brothers, for example... Another game where you're kind of you accept this world. It's just all the 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 Nintendo world mashed into one, but then it just lets you play to the maximum of your ability and fuck with all of these internally consistent systems. And you kind of have an idea of what you're going for, but it's complicated enough that you constantly are surprising yourself. But you're surprising yourself within the rules that have been set up by the game. That's where that humor comes from. And so coming back to why you can have a bunch of funny videos of Halo on YouTube, the reason that those can be funny is that the game has it's set up this world that everyone agrees on. And you have to enforce that sometimes. An example of that is the, the Valve anti-cheating system that kicks out all cheaters and puts them on their own server. They can't play on secure servers. You, you Sometimes you have to enforce that so that everyone is playing by the same rules. And then the second and third things, the keeping it simple so that everyone knows what to expect in this structure, but then giving you the tools to play with it to the extent that sometimes ridiculous things will happen that people will go back, record, and put on YouTube and share. That's where that humor comes from. And it has nothing to do with the, um, the, kind of the, 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 the copywriting of the game. Now, I've been playing Borderlands a lot for the last few weeks. Borderlands is hilarious because it does all of that and it heightens it with amazing copywriting. So, I mean, I play Gunzerker. His power is he can dual-wield guns, run into battle, screaming like an idiot, and shoot everything really fast. And one of the favorite things, my favorite things to do in the game is um, they have these kind of Warthog-style vehicles with turrets in the back. We'll drive along. I'll hop in the back, and I'll just spin my camera. I'll spin my character as fast as possible, shooting rockets into the air and yelling. <laughs> And it's, it's honestly, guys, play that game for about 20 hours and it's still funny. <laughs> it's, it sounds like Christmas at my parents' house, like driving around, firing <laughs> weapons in the air. <laughs> Actually, the, the way you described that scene made it sound a little bit like the, um, the, fu the final moment from a, a coming of age film. <laughs> <laughs> and the freeze frame at the end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. With a kind of an 80s ballad, power ballad. <laughs> We're going to make it through. Well, it's like Wang Chung plays yeah. in the background. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I kind of want to start a discussion with this. Um, it's really not about making a game funny. It's about coming up with those mechanics, giving players the opportunity to, to fuck with them to the maximum of their ability, the tools to express themselves. Um, and then 
heightening that. You can use good copywriting and good art to make that better. Um, or I, I really want to talk more about um, the game that Simon is building because that's a perfect example of that, just reinforcing the basic mechanics of it with hilarious naming of things. I was struck by a similarity uh, between what you were describing in terms of ag- agreed rules in, in a space and uh, Bernard Suits' uh, concept of the magic circle. Uh, for anyone mm. not familiar, Bernard Suits uh, is a philosopher, uh, wrote a book about, called The Grasshopper, which is all about games and play and the roles we take when we play. Uh, he had this notion of the magic circle, which was um, something that surrounded uh, performance spaces, but also spaces that we play, and it was um, a, a place where other rules were permissible. Um, you know, with my uh, in, in my professional life, um, I mean, I actually really struggle to say professional life when I talk about some of the nonsense that I get up to. I struggle <laughs> to say life. I struggle, I struggle to think about Simon at all without <laughs> feeling a little bit of sick in the back of my throat. <laughs> wow. A couple of glasses of wine and you guys, you get really mean. I'm, I'm so cold sober. <laughs> he's, I have no he's idea what you're drunk, talking about. <laughs> he's a mean drunk, isn't he? He's a mean drunk. You know, I, I've done some uh, experiments trying to get people playing games in real physical spaces, you know, and taken... Uh, gameplay structures that are supported by mobile stuff, you know, um, uh, SMS messages, for instance, uh, or, or an app on a mobile phone, and tried to engineer them in uh, music festivals and, and other really big social spaces. And you find some really interesting things happen when you start asking people to behave in ways that, that break social norms. Um, mm. And a, a lot of... Uh, so you'll get very positive reactions. You'll also get really cagey, um, slightly negative reactions where people just aren't, you know, who are you? What are you asking me to do? Is it weird? It's definitely weird, isn't it? Look <laughs> at you, you're weird. Um, is, is the general vibe that you get. For anybody that hasn't seen Simon, he looks proper weird. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what people who listen to this are going to think. This is- <laughs> Constantly ripping the Constantly saying things about how I look as well. Yeah, the whole Chewbacca hey, thing hey, a while ago. I mean, yeah, yeah. That's, that's all Stu. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm with you on this. And Raph, in all honesty. I think you're a very yeah. attractive man. Stop, stop kissing John and get on with it, you I bearded like it. weirdo. There's something about putting... or imposing a, a new set of rules in, into a social space um, that that is really unusual and, and it's uh, it's a really difficult thing to sell to people. You know, you have to create you know, there's, there has to be some sort of seductive process there um, to get people to cross that barrier and what's interesting about um game worlds that happen in digital space is that it's self-selecting you know everyone who's there is willing in some way to cross that barrier uh and so what you yeah. get as a result i think is a really sort of tailor-made supportive atmosphere for the kind of stuff that raf's talking about you know because everyone's sold into the idea that you know, we're all warriors and wizards, and uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm a bloke with a big gun. I'm a superhero today. Hooray! Um, and everyone's okay with that. What I wanted to say was, um, what you were saying about uh, funny mechanics, like, you know, maybe we should be clearer about what we mean by funny mechanics. Like, what, what makes a mechanic funny? Maybe a funny mechanic is simply a mechanic which allows us to, or is, which is explicitly designed to bring about funny consequences rather than us actually describing the mechanic and saying, <laughs> that sounds like a funny mechanic. I have actually a couple <laughs> of interesting um, examples in the barrel for something like that. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever played Octodad. Octodad? Octodad. <laughs> oh my god, I That's want one. I want an Octodad. I don't know so, what it is. Uh, no. Here is a game about an octopus who is trying to pass as a suburban father. <laughs> oh, thank god, at last. <laughs> Jesus, it sounds like my kind of game. <laughs> and it's like, um, it's one of these kind of um, dexterous scramble games, a little bit like Q-Wop. Have you, have you heard of Q-Wop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Is that in a song Q-Wop by Hanson? A... I, always, I always heard it as Quop. <laughs> Quop is a... Um, uh, uh, athletics game. So you're running along a track and you have to wrangle your fingers to press these bizarre key combinations. Daily just, Thompson style. Yeah, just to be able, exactly, just to be able to um, get anywhere. Okay. And your your player ends up like falling over all over the place and like with his legs twisted up in the air like some sort of weird uh, broken doll of a man. Um, <laughs> another one, uh, Sumatori. Yeah, Sumatori Dreams, that's is that what it's called? Absolutely amazing. And the Ninja mm. game. No, it's like a sumo wrestling game. It's kind of similar to Q-Wop. You, you just end up all over the place. Like you got your sumo wrestlers, and they really um, like the they're procedurally animated very well through um, 
uh, a nice little physics sentence. They start off, they do the whole like, Hoo! they bow to each other and they look like really serious <laughs> sumo wrestlers. Then the moment they get up, they're like drunk children. <laughs> yeah. <trying> to <laughs> oh god! Yeah. Oh god! Just... Well, it's, it's, it's like that bit in uh, Team America with the marionette puppets having a kung fu fight scene. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, that yeah, big yeah, build yeah, up with yeah, the close ups yeah. of the eyes and the bit and the music builds up and, and the cadence. Like you know, around. the key changes move up step by step, <laughs> second by second, until eventually they just wobble into each other for a few <laughs> minutes. And all the strings get tangled. But, but I mean, yeah, there's really interesting examples of that as, as well in is more social games like um, Twister. Yeah. Twister is a hilarious game. Uh, there's also the iPad game Fingal. Which, have you guys heard of Fingal? Do you know Fingal? Um, yes, it's an iPad yeah, yeah, game. yeah. It's a two-player game with oh, yeah. uh, two sets of squares that move around the screen. And the aim of the game is for two people to manage to keep their fingers in the squares as they move around. And it, it just basically causes you to have sex with a stranger's hand. Oh, nice. golly. So what's really interesting, um, the final part of the analogy with improv that's really interesting is that those same rules that make really good improv, the funniest things that you see on an improv show come out of things that are real and that aren't inherently funny. And um, the ultimate improv in the world, in my opinion, is a pair of guys called TJ Jagodowski and Dave Pasquese who perform a one-hour show with just three chairs on the stage, empty stage. They don't take a suggestion, and it's just a one-hour improvised one-act play. And the themes they've covered, man, one of the most memorable shows they had was about two guys coming home late at night. You realize after a while that one of the guys, is uh, his wife is going to have a baby a month later, and this is probably the last time that two guys are going to be able to hang out like idiots at 2 o'clock in the morning, cooking things and prank calling the UK. And <laughs> it's just two guys for an hour hanging out, being idiots. It's not attempting to be funny or zany, and it's quite heartfelt when you realize that it is the last time. Oh, and if you want to see them, they're on Netflix. Um, oh, really? Trust us, this is all made up. Is a, Plug. Oh, okay. A DVD cool. of their show. Uh, right, guys, <laughs> let's all talk about Maybe what we've been playing recently, recent games. XCOM. XCOM. Raph has just changed his name to XCOM. Talk to us about XCOM, Raph. My God, that game is good. Yeah, you. It's been it's been such a long time coming. I'm so impressed with what they've done. Um, and I just wish I lived in a universe where that type of game had been people had continued making that type of game and iterated on it and continued mastering this art form for the last 20 years. Explain to, instead explain of having to those, this come back. Explain isn't to those it? listeners who don't know what XCOM is, what XCOM is. Oh, isn't it? oh I'm sorry. Sorry, no, Foxy, what were you going to say? Were you say something? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Raph, explain it. Simon's just being a little bit childish because of his hair. <laughs> uh, so XCOM is... It's a game where... You have to protect Earth from an alien invasion. And you have to simultaneously manage the global operations of, uh, I mean, what is essentially um, a, a corporation or a government body. Basically, Team build America. a base, work out where you're going to um, put satellites to keep an eye out for incoming UFO UFOs, incursions. manage your relationships with the countries of the world. Um, manage the economics of your operation, um, do research in alien technology, build weaponry, build ships, give yourself the ability to fight this at a, at a big strategic level. And at the same time, you have to go on missions where with between four and six soldiers, you're on the ground um, having these really detailed, intricate tactical battles with aliens, um, in the middle of abduction and the two are intricately intricately connected where to succeed in the game you have to research alien technology but the only way you can do that is by capturing aliens um and so the two games cycle around and getting incredibly uh, in increasingly complex and stimulating I've seen I've seen footage. I like, I like the idea of capturing aliens in that game and using kind of social tactics to do it. Is that 
the aliens sitting there going, now you're not going to do anything, are you? <laughs> no, no, come, come in the van. Come in the van. I've got some old VHSs of some old alien telepro. Oh, all right then. But you're not going to take me and do, like, bum investigations. Like, no, no, come in the van. It'd be all right. Well, even watching footage of it is actually, like, completely captivating. It's been it's been great fun to play. Um, yeah, it's an incredible I, game. I think I love how uh, integral those alien captures are to to what you're trying to do like the tension of trying to do that as well this is a game where really early on they establish how vicious and damaging the aliens are and then that, that idea of suddenly being told well actually now you have to walk right up to one and prod it until it's going to come in the van with you <laughs> um, it's this huge imposition into the way that you've been building your strategy and it's really nicely handled and all the kind of um, the chrome around the experience is beautifully put together the flavour of it oh yeah um, but isn't it sad Raf, that that it is that it has been you know, what is it, 15 years, 16 years? It's and incredibly sad. It, it ang- it's actually, it, it angers me. It It's a source of great frustration. I think a similar sort because of experience is like the, the Total War games actually are, are quite quite similar, aren't they, mechanically speaking? Yeah, yeah they War. are. They are. I think, I, I just want to give a shout out to the reason that that level of complexity is important. So many games, they give you a, ah, ah, fuck, I'm going to use your phrase, string of pearls. <laughs> so sexy for no, yeah, so many really games they give player. you objectives and they put you inside a structure and they tell you that it's important they tell you that what you're doing matters take Skyrim they tell you that you're saving the world and you do these missions and you after 60 hours of play you find out that you saved the world you're very happy um, but not that much changes because a lot of the game is it, it's scripted a game like XCOM or Total mm. War because Everything you do at the smallest level reverberates throughout the game. If you fuck up a mission, if your four soldiers die, and you don't manage to retrieve the artifact that you have to research to find out where the alien base is, you can fail the game. You can lose the game 20 hours into it. And every decision you make matters because the game shows you the consequences. And that's something that you just don't see anymore. It's, it's, it's really impressive. It's like, yeah, the, the going all the way from the macro to the micro. Like that kind of, um, you know, for want of a horse, uh, they didn't have a battalion. For want of a battalion, the battle was lost. For want of a battle, the war was lost. You know, even though that's fallacious reasoning, it's still very interesting seeing how the tiny things can, um, can uh, you know, influence the, the larger, larger events. I, I recently played XCOM. I've never played a uh, strategy-based game before i never played like a turn-based anything before um i really really liked the gameplay i just felt really saddened by the fact that it was so aggressive and like yeah all right you know so machisma and you know it had such all of these kind of you know big chested americans in stripy jumpers going okay you don't know why but you're going here go go and do a thing and kill everything and you've got to use army tactics and i'd i'd love to have a game i i'm sure there is out there please if there's someone out there that can post something and let me know um i wish that kind of turn-based tactical thing didn't have the aesthetic of running around with these super huge men and women with guns mainly men that's what survival's about though man Really? Yeah. You've got to make compromises. And one of the compromises is sentimentality. No, no, no. And being sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> Hell, I mean, let, let's talk about Project Zomboid. That's a good example mm. of that. Although, Raf, can you imagine, because this was actually, Stu came around to my house, which is I bought XCOM, and, uh, and, and sat down and, and had the first playthrough, and sat there being, being Stu. Hello. <laughs> at, at all of the little foibles in the game. Whilst I was sitting there trying to get into a bit of XCOM, Trying to get oh, into the, the flavour and, and, and the, the kind of the, the machismo of it. And Stu was there going, Isn't this ridiculous? <laughs> Can you believe all these people with guns? <laughs> look at them. If they had muscles that big, they couldn't stand up. <laughs> oh, look, you can get in the bus. Can you get in the bus? Yeah, that was, I put all the soldiers in the bus. I went, look, you can get in the bus. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Simon was like, stop doing that. It's supposed to be serious. And it was like every, every two minutes, it was some guy with a green jumper going, OK, some really serious things have happened, and it's all really serious. Uh, we want to go and take care of the serious Wait, what, he was, he was drunk? Uh, I 
managed to get Spelunky working on my Mac, which is good. Oh, it's brilliant. But I haven't played it yet. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, really sorry. But what I have got recently is I've just bought myself a Wii for the first time, and I'm really, really enjoying it. Um, <laughs> I've just got into... Uh, I think it, it's a console that I should have bought a long time ago. I mm. think it really... There's some fantastic stuff on there. I mean, there's an awful lot of shovelware. I've, I don't know how many Sudoku games there are on there, and sushi preparation games. There's a lot of those. An actual shovelware, you know, like shoveling sims. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Like digging simulators. Yeah, dig just, yeah it, it's terrible. But oh, man, Digging Simulator 2011 is one of the best digging simulators yeah. in Super, super dig. Super dig Sim Con 210. Yeah. There's loads of fans get together and dig the shit out of wherever they are. Yeah. Um, but I have been playing Super Mario Galaxy. Uh, I know that, you know, uh, I, I tend to like to trumpet the indie stuff because it tends to be a little bit more um, uh, interesting to my artistic sensibility. However, I think that Super Mario Galaxy 1, haven't played the sequel yet, um, in terms of mechanical polish, it's inspiring. Um, from a sound designer's point of view and a musician's point of view, it's absolutely sublime. And uh, I think that it's possibly one of the the best games I think that I've ever played that Nintendo have, have pushed out there. And if you if you kind of throw away this the, the seriousness of gaming as a concept, then this is just so much fun. You might not believe it, but that's actually a relatively controversial thing to say. Um, f- there, there are some people who absolutely hate Super Mario Galaxy. Like, hate, hate, mm. hate it. I, I remember reading a, a post uh, by a guy who was so vitriolic that um, he claimed that um, the fact that he was living alone um, and single was because of Super Mario Galaxy. The story he told was essentially he, he met this girl online, um, they, they struck up a friendship, and they both realised that they liked video games. He went, he flew out to visit her, and it was around about the same time when Super Mario Galaxy came out on the Wii. And he, he bought it, and he was planning to play it with her, and that first night when they were sitting down on the sofa, they both played it, and they, you know, as Super, as Super Mario slash video games in general connoisseurs, they both realised that this was an awful thing, and uh, they didn't get it on. Now, I'm, th- I'm sure there was other things going on. Uh, this is clearly a story told by a, a well-adjusted yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and sexy gentleman. But, but he did he did make some very interesting points. For instance, uh, the kind of, there, there wasn't a single moment, um, in his opinion, um, in Super Mario where you're not being screamed at uh, to be you know at, and being told exactly what you have to do. You know that there's like there, there aren't there's there's no point in which there isn't some fucking penguin or like a, a, a bouncy bunny rabbit saying chase me chase me or you know wiggle the Wiimote to do this etc etc oh, now yeah, no, not game the where the tasks are really well designed well no 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 yeah. but this is the thing not well designed uh, but like you know this is the, the the help mechanic you know it's it's like um you uh, know what i hate in games is when i know exactly what i'm yeah. supposed to be doing yeah, well, the, the one the, thing the, that i love about games is that bit where you're wandering around aimlessly with absolutely no clue what to do and you try the same thing over wait. and over and over wait, again wait, wait, hoping that s- maybe the 30th time it might be different but are you saying you can't make it too clear to a player no no you're absolutely right obviously uh, and there is massive amount of space uh, in gaming for experiences which put you out there and, and uh, th- you know throw you into the deep end um recently uh day z or day z um on the armor 2 engine has done an incredibly made incredibly good um, business out doing exactly that minecraft is obviously a, a prominent experience of, of throwing the player in at the deep end i mean my first night in minecraft I got so frightened by all the zombie noises, I dug a hole and hid in the hole. This is not an uncommon thing. What's uncommon about my experience is that I got lost in the hole. I, I didn't have any materials for torches or anything, so I, I, couldn't, I couldn't find my way out. I had to delete that entire world because I was stuck in a hole forever. I, coincidentally, um, have been playing uh, a, a, another Wii game which Stu has been playing. <laughs> the, the game is called uh, The House of the Dead Overkill. Motherfucker. Motherfucker. Um, Shitloads of F-bombs oh. dropped in that game. Yeah, it's a, it is an absolute um, orgiastic joy to behold. I mean, it's, it's a very, we're talking about funny games in this podcast. It's a very, very funny game. Yeah. Um, for those of you listening, all two of you, um, uh, The House of the Dead Overkill has this incredible kind of grindhouse B-movie aesthetic. Ralph, have you played it? Not yet. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Um, I have fond memories of uh, Typing of the Dead. Typing, yeah. <laughs> typing of the Dead. So, well, Mavis Beacon's Typing But, like, so the Ordinary House of the Dead series is, is quite... Well, I don't know. It, it's, not, it's not so self-aware. Um, 
like you know it's it's kind of it's supposed to be quite horrifying um well yeah i think i think the first house of the dead like is it's a little bit ludicrous just in, in the case that it's not as self-aware oh. as house of the dead overkill put it that way oh, oh sorry i, I, I thought you were saying overkill, i completely oh, no, disagree oh, no the like you know the original house, house of the dead knows exactly what it's doing yeah, but like, but it, like, it's ridiculous. But it doesn't know how ridiculous it is to the extent that Overkill well, they, knows how ridiculous it is. Uh, d- uh, typing of the Dead. Why would they have released a version of House of the Dead where instead of shooting a gun, the protagonist graphically, literally, has a Dreamcast on his back as a backpack <laughs> yep. and a little table in front of him with a keyboard that fires bullets out the front? And the idea, for those that don't know, Typing of the Dead is a version is, is a rail shooter where you have to shoot the zombies that come at you, but instead of firing bullets, you have a keyboard in front of you and words pop up on the screen, pop up on the screen, and you have to type out those words and sentences as quickly as you can in order to fire the bullets to kill the zombies. I mean, if that isn't, you know. Th- taking this mechanic and turning it into something that isn't aware of itself sure that's typing of the dead but like the ordinary house of the dead titles weren't as like it's, oh, a, it's, hey, a, it's, it's a complete homage to all of those universal classics you reckon completely okay, that's well, why it was so good but my okay my point is that like overkill is very much like a self-aware kind of like okay we know this is ridiculous i think, like, I think it's a different we know decade like, i think that you know i love those reckon, movies okay. from the 50s um at, well earlier than that kind of 30s to the 50s was a great time for horror the 60s and the hammer stuff really fell apart but when the grindhouse stuff came out that's where it's so self-aware and i think that's probably why i think they've been really wise because uh, lots of people have seen Grindhouse movies, hopefully, of, of a younger age. And, uh, you know, it's time to kind of update the, the self-awareness and take it from those kind of universal classics of the 40s hmm. and move it up to, you know, the Grindhouse movies of the 70s. All right, Stu. Okay, so, chill the fuck out. Right, look at my face, right. kiss yeah, my face, I'm, I'm not, I'm not love kiss me. Your face. Let's watch the language you. there, John Lowe. All right, there are kids in this room. The there reason are, I said motherfucker well, so much there. is because they say it in the game a lot. Yeah, it's great. I mean, really like, well, I mean, yeah, the, the, the whole the whole is that I just really love the aesthetic. You know, when they say things like Varla guns, a doting sibling to a crippled brother, forced him into a life of vice. Now she's filled with a primal hunger for revenge. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, look, when the voice he's talking about one of the characters, is it? Meet Leon. He will blow the zombies' heads off. <laughs> I'm Leon. I'm gonna blow their motherfucking heads off. <laughs> yeah, and there's like there's there's things where like there's a guy in a wheelchair, like you know one one guy like knocks his glasses off. There's a shot of the glasses yeah, falling onto the floor. Yeah. Then it cuts back to the guy with the glow, and he's got his glasses still back on. And like, there's, a, yeah. there's a little <laughs> jump cut. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's 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 amazing, and also like the gameplay itself is just like you know it's, it's very very addictive. It's fun. It's it's kind of sucks you it's in. Great. More than one person playing at the same time. It's it's absolutely. It's also on the PS3 for anybody out there that's got a move. It's well worth getting. Plug. It's a very playful thing. I did enjoy it a lot. What did? What have you been playing recently, Simon? Uh, it's actually been an amazing month for games and game releases. Um, uh, I've picked up Dishonored, picked up XCOM, been enjoying both of those. Although I haven't had much of a chance oh, to get into Dishonored yet. Yeah, I've, I've literally only had twenty minutes to spend playing it. I got through the very beginning bit, so I understand the reference of the title. Yeah, Dishonored. More like. Definitely dishonoured. Um, <laughs> Unhonoured. But uh, I've been playing FTL and, and Prison Architect, actually, which the alpha um, was just released. FTL we talked about earlier, Stu. John now broke out in a, a gorgeous French accent and explained uh, a little story from it to us. FTL's Faster Than Light. It's uh, oh, one of the first ways Kickstarter, big, big, really mm. popular Kickstarter games, which uh, has been finished and completed. Um it's a roguelike, which means death is permanent. Um, you take on the mantle of a spaceship trying to um, escape the rebel fleet and deliver some information um, across uh, several systems. Uh, and it's it's a very simple game, but it's got a lot of um, nicely uh, randomly generated events in it. So the every play experience is very, very pick-up-and-play. You can just spend 20 minutes on it um, and, and put it down very easily, and, and quite different things will happen every time. And, and they've done a fantastic job. They've managed to um, to produce something really solid uh, that fits its budget and scale and, and, and ambition perfectly. Uh, you know, I, I have some gripes with it, but they're, they're personal things. You know, it's like uh, this this is what I would have made if I'd made that game. It would have been ever so slightly different. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really great. And my, my hat's off to the You're devs there. You can see what you've done with the game there. Quite like what you've done with the game. 
Personally, would have done it slightly differently. <laughs> okay, moving on. What's next? Uh, and I think it just means there's a lot more room in, in the space genre, which is really making a comeback at the moment. You know, you've mm. got um, yeah, Notches, yeah, XTNC, um, uh, the guy who made Wing, the Wing Commander series. Oh, um, is he? He's just, just uh, made an announcement about a, a space-based MMO he's planning to make that looks quite exciting. Oh, it's it's very pretty. It's Star very Command, pretty. is that right? Star Command Ref? Is that what it's called? Um, is it Star Citizen? There you go. Um, and, you know, Citizen. big, ambitious um, space MMO. Although, frankly, uh, Notch has got my money be- before that, uh, just because I think it's going to be really weird and bizarre, whatever Notch comes out with. And I, I, he gets a lot of hate online, Notch, and, and I don't understand why. I think he's a really tremendous figure. You know, anyone who... I think it's because he's successful. Well, yeah, but, but you know, normally you, say you hate someone who's successful, right, because they sell out in some kind of way. Notch has made enough money to bugger off and do whatever the hell he wants, and he, all he's done is set up a situation which allows him to keep making the kinds of weird, unusual games that he wants to make, and I think that's very admirable. Have mm. you seen the... It's uh, a dream. Have you seen the pictures of his offices, though? I, I have, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit gel. <laughs> well, gel. I mean, it's incredible, like, lots of um, Chesterfield sofas, lots of, like, you know, game developers posing in, uh, in suits with pipes and stuff. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. Like, fireplaces and stag heads and stuff. But, of course, oh. you know, my living room looks exactly like that. Single mould on tap. Yeah, yeah literally on tap. Tweed, tweed. In the bath. Tweed, uh, just swimming pools full of tweed. <laughs> <laughs> I've also been playing Prison Architect, which is uh, another indie by, um, insert developer name here, Raph, do you, do you know who Prison Architect's by? I forgot. In, in, intro, Introversion. Introversion. There you go. Um, and, and it's been great fun. Uh, there's a lot still to be made there. It's, it really is an alpha, they're not kidding. Um, hmm. And then... And, and, you know, I've People had to... can walk right out of the prison. <laughs> well, they can, but only when you forgot, forget to put gates up. But they never tell you you're supposed to put gates up. Though arguably oh. this is something you should assume. <laughs> um, I have um, literally had to dig into the XML files to correct some stuff um, <laughs> when I've been playing. But uh, it, it's a lot of fun and there's clearly a really solid core there and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with it. That's exciting. Can I give a quick shout out to Super Hexagon? No. Unbelievably incredible. Shut the face. What's Super Hexagon? Have you guys played Super Hexagon? No. No. Terry Kavanagh, guy made He made a game called Super Hexagon, which you just made me think of, Steve, when you're talking about simplicity. It's fucking brilliant. All I'm going to say about this game is that if you... You will... You will play it for an hour. You will manage to have a playthrough where you last more than five seconds and you'll be happy. Ooh, wow. Oh, that was a good meal. Uh, that was some tasty meat right there, but I am full mm. to the brim. Hey, well, thanks for joining us on that culinary journey, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we really appreciate it. And, hey, don't worry, because we'll be back again pretty soon, I think. That's true. We're going to come back next month with an entirely new subject for you. <laughs> and it's going to be... Da-da-da-da! Music! Hey! Going to listen to some noises. It's going to be great. Like this one. Yeah. Fourth. Other sounds like that. Please join us. <laughs> Please. Please. <laughs> come back. Oh, past the show.